Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. I, um, you know, I was doing some research before I came here, and so I went and started listening to some of Pastor Michael's sermons. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so digging this dude's style. And then I was asking him about it today, and I was like, hey, tell me like what you're thinking like when you're preaching. He's like, well, I want like a 14-year-old to think like, wow, this guy gets me, but then I also want to bring stuff that people are going like, whoa, that's kind of heady. That's coming from a different angle. And I was like, that's what I try to do. I was like, this is a, I feel like this is a brother from another mother. So um, Pastor Michael, thank you. Pastor Brooke, thank you. Um, I am so excited about this. This is a absolute joy for me. Um, I, you can pray for me about these five children, but I would, I would prefer that you divert those prayers over to my amazing wife, Jenny, who is the love of my life. Um, we met in seminary. She was trying to study God and I was trying to study her. Hey, um, I am crazy about her and we are so pumped in this season because we do not homeschool. We send those kids to public school, and I'll tell you what, when school starts, is it not, from a parent's perspective, is it not the greatest thing on planet Earth? I heard this, uh, one of my favorite comedians, I heard him say this last week, he said, I'm so excited about school starting, I can't even explain it to you. He said, the way kids feel on the last day of school is the way parents feel on the first day of school. Is that not so good? That is how we feel. We start school on Wednesday, and we are just, I mean, the praises have already started. Um, we, I rolled up to this church also, and I was like, is this the coolest church in America that you guys are at this place, sitting right next to Blowing Rock Brewery? I'm like, oh my goodness, these are my people. About to worship God and then drink an IPA. Like, that is just the Lord's work. Wow. I don't even know if that's allowed, but that is just incredible that y'all do that. Um, hey, so tomorrow y'all are going to get these notes that um, it just has, a, it's just an outline of what we're going to talk about. I, I um, 2017, wrote this book called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, and uh, I just uh, bumped into the concept that leadership is not about a title. Leadership's not about a position. Leadership really is about, it's about influence. And so I hope that this will help you uh, as a group leader. I hope that this will help you um, in, in whatever it is that you're leading through Soma Church. But even more than that, I hope that it also helps you in your job. I know we've got all kinds of professions. We've got people doing all kinds of different things. And you guys are running stuff every single day. And I just believe leadership is so powerful. I believe it's one of God's greatest gifts that he gives us. And I believe that if you're a better leader, everybody around you gets better. I mean, look at this amazing story that Pastor Michael just brought about Moses, that Moses was trying to lead, but once he started leading better, everyone around him got better. And that really is what this is all about. I think if you become a better leader, I think you'll get promoted at work. I think you'll make more money at work. But the highest calling, the best use of it, is that I think God will allow you to love the people around you even better. That you'll be able to challenge the people around you, impact the people around you in a more deep way. And that's really, um, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm praying for as well in my life. And that's what I've been praying for for this event tonight as well. Um, speaking of school starting, my wife, uh, at the beginning of this past school year, took our, um, he was three at the time, 
his name is Wit. He's our youngest kid, and he went to preschool for a couple days. And this is a big deal, you know. When it, when a kid goes to school, do you remember going to school for the first time? Um, that's a he, he was nervous. And she calls me later that day. She's like, I got to tell you what happened today in the carpool line. Um, she's taking him, dropping him off the school. He was in his car seat in the back because we're responsible parents. And he unbuckles himself in the carpool line, gets out, standing over her shoulder. And she's an amazing mom, and she could feel his little heart beating. She could tell he's nervous. And so she asked him, she says, hey, buddy, are you nervous? He said, yes. She said, would you like for me to pray for you? And he says, sure, right? And so she says, all right, well, let's pray. She says, Heavenly Father, thank you for wit. Just pray that today that you would give him courage, help him to know that you are with him, and God, take away his nervousness in Jesus' name, amen. He looks up at her with these big eyes, and as she's telling me this story, I'm like, what did he say? Did he say something profound? Did he quote C.S. Lewis, like quote a Bible verse? Like, what was it? She said, he looked up at me with these big eyes, like he's about to say something real serious, and he goes, well, that didn't work. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Anybody ever prayed for something that didn't work, right? Um, praying for something is important. Praying for something is powerful. Praying is where we start. But God wants us to grow as people, right? He doesn't just want us to pray for more influence. There are things that we can do to gain more influence. Again, not so that you might be greater, but so that God might use you in profound ways to impact the people around you. And and the more influence that you gain, the more influence that you're able to grow, the more you're able to impact the people in your group. And so I want to talk about what leadership, uh, the way, at least my perspective, what leadership really is. Leadership's not about a title. It's not about a position. It's not about authority. Every single one of us are leaders. We're leaders in our own way, right? And, and, if, and if leadership really is about influence, then you don't have to be in charge in order to lead. When we're kids, when we're little kids, we, we grow up with this idea that, oh, the people that are in charge, they're the leaders, right? I mean, like, who are we looking at when we're kids to think, oh, well, that's the leader? Who are we looking at? Teachers, coaches, parents, principal, bus driver, right? I got in trouble in sixth grade because I was breaking rulers, throwing them out the window of the bus, and the bus driver told the assistant principal, Dennis Crocker, in sixth grade about this. This will let you know the kind of school I went to, hard knock life. Sixth grade, the print gets sent to the principal. They call me out of the class, whatever. You know, everybody's like, ooh, you going to the principal? I'm sitting there in the principal's office, Dennis Crocker. He says to me, Will Hall, and to this kid named Josh, he's I'm about to call your parents and tell them that I'm going to suspend you from the bus. And he's like, Mr. Scroggins, I'm going to start with you. I was like, oh, great. So he dials up my dad, puts him on speaker, calls my dad at work. Says, uh, Mr. Scroggins, I have your son here. He was caught throwing rulers out the bus window. I would like to suspend him from the bus for three days. And my dad said, do you have any other options? My dad was negotiating on punishment with the principal. I was like, respect, dad. I love this. Mr. Crocker responded to him with something I didn't love. He said, well, I could paddle him. My dad says, great, do that and tell him he's got another one when he comes home. In front of my friends on speakerphone, I got spanked in public school in the sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. Anybody else get spanked at school? Did it do you right or did it? This man put up two hands. 
<laughs> I got, I didn't get spanked. I got whooped. <laughs> Listen, um, when you're a little kid, you look at these authority figures, right? And you think, oh, well, he's the boss. She's the boss because she's in charge, right? That's the leader because she's in the position. She's got the title. He, he's got the office. But the truth is there's plenty of people that have been in charge of stuff. Moses is a great example who aren't doing a very good job leading. And there are people that have changed the world that didn't have a title. They didn't have the authority to do it. They learn how to cultivate influence. And so what, what, what I did in this season, uh, th- this book released five years ago this month, uh, I wrote down four things. I was, I was, um, I was actually supposed to be speaking at a, a staff meeting for uh, another church in Atlanta, and I was trying to make myself write down what I was learning, what God was teaching me in that season. And I wrote down the phrase, I'm trying to learn how to lead even though I'm not in charge. I was a campus pastor for 10 years at our church in Atlanta. Uh, it was my dream job. I absolutely loved it. About a year ago, because I was getting so many opportunities to do this, uh, I resigned from my job, and I've been doing this full-time for the last year, preaching at churches and speaking to organizations and corporations on this idea of how to help people become better people. And it's really my passion. My passion is to help people grow. And I, 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 as I was writing down that phrase, how to lead when you're not in charge, I wrote down these four things. Here's what I got to do if I'm going to try to lead even though I'm not in charge. And so I want to give you two of them tonight and then cliffhanger we're going to do the other two tomorrow. You're going to have a hard time sleeping because you're going to be so excited about these last two. No, I'm just kidding. But I do hope this helps. I do, I do hope this encourages you, challenges you. Uh, and what, what might happen by the end of this is you might go, you know what? All four of those, they didn't hit me. Three of them didn't even hit me. But there was one that was for me. And that's my hope is that maybe God would give you one nugget that would help you uh, focus on, that would help you depend on, that would help you ask him God, would you help me grow in my influence? And maybe one of these is one is, is for you. So the first one, four things you got to do. Four things you got to do to lead when you're not in charge. Number one, you've got to lead me. You got to lead me. Number two, you got to choose positivity. Number three, you got to think, think critically. And number four, you got to reject passivity. Today, I'm going to talk, tonight, I'm going to talk about leading me and I'm going to talk about choosing positivity. You'll get all these in notes tomorrow. You're welcome to take notes. Or you can just pull your phone and act like you're taking notes, but you're really texting friends. And then we'll give you the notes tomorrow, all right? Number one, lead me, lead me. Um, self-leadership, what does it mean to lead myself? What, what I've discovered uh, in all of life, right, is that you're never in charge of all you want to be in charge of. The, the way my journey happened is I was uh, working in student, I actually started at our church as an intern in the facilities department. I would sweep up after Sunday and then I uh, moved from becoming an intern to working on the student ministry team. I became a student pastor at one of our smaller campuses, became a student pastor at one of our larger campuses, became a campus pastor at one of our smaller campuses, became a campus pastor at one of our larger campuses. And with every one of those moves, I kept thinking, ooh, if I could just get that job, then I would be able to do all that I want to do. I would be able to move my ideas forward. I would be able to grow things. I would be able to change things. I'd be able to make the decisions that I think need to be made. But what I learned over and over again is it's not the title that gives you the ability to make decisions. It's not the title that gives you the sway or the swag. No, it's the influence. It's the ability to move a room, the ability to be the person that says, hey, here's what I think we ought to do. And people go, well, tell us more about that. And then you go, well, here's why, and here's what I'm thinking, and here's how we're going to do that. All of that is influence. 
And the way we cultivate influence has to start with our primary source of responsibility, and that is to lead me. i got to lead myself. I've got to lead this little mechanism, this little organization that God has given me. There's a quote that you'll see in your notes tomorrow. The quote goes like this. Nothing so conclusive. It's at the very end of all this. Oh, my goodness. You guys are so on it. I mean, we are like connecting so deeply. I said one word and you flip to the back of it. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. Think about this. Nothing proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. You want to lead more? You want God to use you more? Well, it starts by leading yourself. It starts by doing the very things that you would encourage other people to do. That's not easy to do. In fact, the hardest place to lead, but the place we got to start is by leading ourselves. What does it mean to lead me? What does it mean to lead myself? Uh, uh, A couple just simple lines from this. No one can lead me better than I'm leading myself. Nobody's going to be able to lead me if I'm not willing to lead myself. Anybody got a, this is uh, terrible, but anybody, our our family, we've got um, somebody in our extended family right now who's dealing with addiction. It's a huge deal. Anybody got addiction in your family? It is amazing to me. It is almost 100% of families in America right now that are dealing with some kind of addiction in their family. Have you ever tried to help an addict who is not interested in helping himself or helping herself? It's impossible, right? You can't help somebody that's not interested in helping himself or helping herself. And you can't lead someone who's not willing to lead himself or herself. I got to a point in life where, you know, people complain all the time about their bosses, right? People do this at church as well. You know, when you're a, one of the things you learn quickly as a pastor is that you're walking around with a big suggestion box, you know, and people go, oh, I got some ideas on things we ought to do. Oftentimes with our church, people would complain, and they, we'd get the same complaint over and over again. They would say, this church is just not deep enough. I loved it. Whenever I got that question, I loved it. I was like, let's talk. Let's talk. What does that mean to you? And they'll go something like this. They'll go, I just wish we would do a deep dive through the Old Testament. I'm like, okay. Um, Quick question. Are you reading the Old Testament yourself? And then they would get offended. You know, they'd be like, what? How dare you? That has nothing to do with this. And I'm like, that has everything to do with this, right? Because no one can take you on a deep dive through the Old Testament if you're not willing to read the Old Testament yourself. Uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I wanted to get swole. I wanted to get big. I wanted to get y- yoked. That's what the kids are saying these days, right? I wanted to be, um, I, I, wa- I wanted, you know, I wanted to be bigger than I was. And uh, that didn't take much. And I, um, I, I was asking my dad, I was like, Dad, I want to get a, a set of weights to put in the garage. And he's like, I, I'll buy you a set of weights at the end of the summer if you commit to doing 50 push-ups a day every day this summer. What was my dad doing? He was basically saying, it's worthless to buy you a set of weights if you're not willing to put the work in and do some push-ups on your own. You know, and he'd tell me all about Herschel Walker, who did 1,000 push-ups a day his whole life, never lifted a weight in his life. I don't know if that's true or not. But nonetheless, I never got the set of weights, all right? I know you're looking at me wondering, like, I don't know. I can't tell. Did you? Didn't. Never got them. So, um, <laughs> but what I learned, though, is this extremely valuable lesson that no one can lead you better than you're willing to lead yourself, 
nothing, nothing more conclusively proves your ability to lead others is what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. Um, a couple other things from this. When I, when I wait to be led, when I sit back and wait and go, well, I'm just going to wait until I get a boss that I like or wait until I get a pastor I like or wait until I find a sermon that I like, when I wait to be led, I actually reduce my influence and I lose my opportunity to lead. That every moment in life is an opportunity to lead. And when we sit back and wait, we're, we're missing it. We're, we're actually limiting, we're lessening our influence. And so what I encourage people to do is, hey, this is real simple, but if you want to say, all right, where do I start? What's the game plan for leading myself? I think the game plan for leading myself requires these three things. Number one, are you willing to model followership? Are you willing to model followership? Well, I don't even know if followership is a word, but you get it, right? That the place where leadership starts is as a follower. I mean, this is, this is such, a, such a great time to come right after this story about Moses because Moses had to be willing to submit to his own father-in-law. Every one of us has got to be willing to submit to somebody that God has put as an authority figure in our life. And that's not easy to do, right? Submitting to someone is really challenging to do. Now, I can submit to Jesus because he's perfect. It's hard to submit to somebody who's not perfect right? And we complain and we gripe and we get frustrated about what they're not. But in the end of the day, we've got to decide, I'm going to choose to model. I'm, I'm not just going to follow someone, but I'm going to model it. I'm going to show it off, which means leading myself starts with the way I talk about my boss at the water cooler, right? Leading myself starts with the way I talk about the management in our organization. D- Dave Ramsey says, this is a little bit crass, and so I'm going to quote him on it, but he says when people badmouth the place where they work, it's like peeing in your own cereal, <laughs> which is a really weird thing to say. But when I first heard him say that, I read it in a book he wrote called Entree Leadership. I thought, now that is a really interesting way to put it because it's true. You're, you're dogging the very place that you chose to work. You're badmouthing the very place that you chose to go to church. Nobody's making you do it. You chose to do it. And so to to do anything but model followership is missing this amazing opportunity to lead myself. Nobody can do this for you. You got to choose to do this on your own. You got to start there. Number one, leading yourself. Uh, Excuse me, number one, modeling followership. And then number two, you got to monitor your own heart. You got to monitor your own heart and your own behavior. So much of leading yourself, leading myself, begins with introspection. Do I know what I'm feeling? Do you know what I'm experiencing? Do I know what's going on inside of me? Am I aware of my behaviors? Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Let's do a poll of the crowd. What is more difficult to monitor, your behaviors or your heart? What's more challenging to monitor? What's more harder to monitor? The heart. Why? What's that? For one, it's deceptive. Yeah, exactly. Why else? Why is it hard to monitor? Because you can keep it hidden. You can't hide your behaviors. Your behaviors are what they are. You can see them. You can look at them. You can evaluate them. You can ask other people to help you with this. But to monitor your heart means we've got to do what David, King David did in Psalms over and over again, where he would go before God and say, God, here is my heart. Would you please examine it? Would you please look inside of it and see if there's anything that's against your will? See if there's anything that doesn't align with you. If there's jealousy in your heart, it's your job to monitor it. 
If there's anger in your heart, it's your job to monitor it. Why? Because eventually it will come out. Eventually it will show up. I've only got 10 minutes left. I shouldn't tell this story, but this is one of my favorite stories to tell because it cracked me up when it happened. But let me tell you what happened at our camp about five years ago uh, when I was in my 30s. I'm now 42, and so I've aged out of being able to speak at our high school youth camp. Um, They quit asking me. And I don't know if it's my style or what, because I'm like, I'm trying to connect to the 14-year-old Pastor Michael, you know what I mean? So I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but they quit asking me. But back in the day, I used to speak at our camp, and I'll never forget this one particular year, the worship leader's up there, you know, he's just about to, he's, he's going for it. He's going in on this song, you know, he's about to play Oceans or something. And he looks back at the drummer and tells the drummer, like, cue the track. I don't even know what any of this means, all right? I'm not a music person. I love music. But I just know the drummer, at some point, he's got a computer sitting there and he's supposed to, like, hit the track, you know, in the ears or whatever. I don't even know. But he's supposed to do it, okay? And so I see him back there, and I'm standing over to the side behind this pipe and drape where they couldn't see me, but I could see all of what was going on. And the drummer's back there messing with the computer, and I could tell something wasn't working. And so the worship leader's up here setting up the song, but he's doing it longer than he normally does it, which is usually pretty long anyway. But in this case, it was actually even longer. And so at one point, I could tell, I was like, I think he's stalling. And he looks back at him with these eyes like, I would like to fight you right here, right now on the stage. And I was like, oh, it's about to go down because this drummer was a country boy from Griffin, Georgia that I would not mess with. And this worship leader was like a skinny little, he's not like, your worship leader is like a real dude. It's what I love about this guy. He's like a real just regular, nice-looking dude, you know? And this, you, these worship leaders we got at our church are flimsy. And so that's the way this guy was. And this guy was up here. And when he looked back at him, I was like, oh, no, I don't believe I would have done that if I were him. So they end up, whatever, I don't even know what ended up happening, but they end up playing Oceans. You know, people were slaying the spirit. It was amazing. And I, so there was like a minute and a half title package or bumper or whatever. And so I'm standing over here on the side, and I was so grateful for this video that I had to go up before I had to go up on stage because I was like, I want to see what's about to go down. So this drummer walks off stage, and he looks at this worship leader. He gets up in his face. Y'all want to know what goes on behind the scenes? This is what goes on. He gets up in his face. He said two things. Number one, if you ever look at me on stage like that, I'm going to kill you. I was like, okay, (laughs) that's serious. He goes, number two, whatever it is that's that close to the surface, you need to go deal with it. I was like, Dr. Phil at camp? Okay. I was stunned. I have never forgotten that because you know what he's talking about, right? When you got stuff that's right there, you end up, Uh, I had a counselor tell me this one time. It's when you end up having a dollar response to a 10-cent incident. If you don't monitor your own heart, you will end up, your kid leaves your shoes out, and you lose it when you know it's not really about the shoes. It's about something else. One one more, um, I don't know why, two Dave Ramsey story in one night. I had a chance to talk to Dave Ramsey about this topic. I said, Dave, does that make sense to you? I was trying to explain what I was trying to say. And he was like, yeah. I was like, have you ever had that happen on the radio? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I had a lady call in one time. And she said, "Um, Dave, I got a problem. I'm buying too many shoes. He's like, okay. And he said, how many shoes do you have? She's like, when I open up my closet, all the shoes fall out on me. He's like, "Mm, it's too many shoes. Yep. And he said, have you ever thought about when it is that you buy these shoes? Is there a theme? And she said, huh. He said she paused and thought about it, and she said, well, 
yeah, my um, ex-husband and I have been divorced for a couple years, and every time I go drop our kids off when it's when he has custody, I drop them off, and then I go to the store and I buy a pair of shoes. See, this is an example of somebody who has not monitored her own heart, right? I mean, what, what may be in her heart, if you had to guess? What, what is in her heart? Pain? What else? Rejection? What else? Huh? Walking out? What else? Unforgiveness? I mean, who knows? But it is our job to monitor our own heart and our own behavior. That's where leading yourself starts. Do you know what's going on in there? Are you willing to model followership? Are you willing to monitor your heart and your behavior? And then once you do, would you be willing to make a plan? What is your plan on how you're leading yourself? What's your plan? What's your plan on how you're leading yourself? You're never too old to start. You're never too young to start. What's your plan on leading yourself? Do you have a plan? There's too many resources in the world. There's too much that God has put at our disposal to not be leading ourselves well. Is there a book you need to read? Is there a counselor you need to see? Is there a podcast you need to listen to? Is there a class you need to take? Is there somebody you need to talk to? Maybe it's reading the Bible in a year. Maybe it's going through a Beth Moore study. Maybe it's listening to some podcast. I don't know what it is, but what are you doing? Do you have a plan on how you're leading yourself? No one can lead you if you're not willing to lead yourself. Nothing so conclusively proves your ability to lead others as what you do on a day-to-day basis to lead yourself. So, so that's where we got to start. we got to lead me. Number two, got to choose positivity. Okay, so when I first showed this outline to a friend of mine, I was like, he, he said, I, I like it. I don't love number two. It feels bubblegum. And I was like, no one asked you. I mean, I did, but that was very offensive to me. I was like, bubblegum? And I get it. Choosing positivity does feel bubblegum. It feels soft, or it feels Norman Vincent Peale, right? But the truth is, there is nothing that you can do in this world that changes the mood of a room more than positivity, quick story, 2001, our church was in one auditorium, we had grown out of it, and we built a second auditorium, it was like Siamese auditoriums, connected back to back, and uh, I missed the meeting, they used to have these Sunday night meetings, they were like, you know, church only kind of meetings, and so at this particular one, I I, I knew they were going to talk about how they were going to seat people in the East Auditorium and in the West Auditorium, and so um, a friend of mine named Emily, she went to the meeting, I missed the meeting, so I saw her that week, and I was like, Emily, Sunday night, the meeting, what'd they say? And she was like, oh, it's great. I, I can't wait. It's so good. I was like, okay, interesting. What did they say? She said, they said they're going to do, if your last name is A through M, you sit in the East Auditorium. And if your last name is N through Z, you sit in the West Auditorium. And I go, that's what they came up with? Seriously? And she goes, I thought it was such a great idea. Her positivity about knocked me back. I was like, you thought it was a great idea? Okay, well, maybe it is. I mean, I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought, surely there's more creative ideas. But that's what they thought of? And she goes, yeah, I thought it was great. And then she starts laughing. I was like, what's so funny? She was like, they told us to say that. She's like, I thought it was just an okay idea as well. But they said they they know it's just an okay idea. But anybody that asks, just tell them, you think it's an amazing idea. And we're just going to have to positive our way to a good idea on this one. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that actually worked. 
because her wave of positivity about knocked me over. I'm telling you, the greatest benefit that you bring the people around you, it's not your talent, it's not your education, it's not your ideas, it's not your experience, but the greatest way that you can impact the people around you is through your energy. I don't mean your enthusiasm. You don't have to be extroverted to do this. Some of you are introverted, and you're a climate changer. Some of you are an introverted, positive person, that you're believing in what God's doing, that you're supporting the people around you, and you do it with your mood. And when you walk into a room, you change the climate of the room. That's the power of positivity. Positivity is a fight for we over me, right? There's a lot of me's in this world, and every me has an opinion about everything, right? Me being the first. I mean, I got opinions about everything. But positivity is a fight for we. It's saying, I believe that we together is better than all the me's on our own, right? Anybody know the movie Finding Nemo? Do you remember the birds in Finding Nemo? Do you remember what they said when they're flying around the dock? Mine, mine, mine. It's like the most theologically astute thing that Disney has ever said. They're speaking directly to the depravity and selfishness of man. It is brilliant. That's the way we're born. That's the way we come out of the wound, right? Crying, me, 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 me. And part of being at a church like this is going, no, I'm I'm not about me. I'm about we, which might mean I don't love the style of music. I don't love the style of preaching. I don't love the style of groups. I don't love the way they decorate things. I don't love the food that they had tonight. But it's not about me. It's not about the preference of me. It's about what God might do through we. And when you choose to be positive, I'm telling you, it will impact the people around you. All right, now there's a couple times in my life, particularly professional life, when I find it most difficult to be positive. Here's the first one. When I am not a part of the decision-making process, my default is to abdicate leadership. See, in every organization, it gets to be a size where you don't get to be a part of every decision. How many of you at work have to execute decisions that someone else made? Everybody, right? Some of you are like, that is all I do. Listen, leading a group that you're going to lead. You are executing a decision that someone else made. And when, when that happens, I oftentimes throw my hands up and go, well, I don't, this isn't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Patrick Lencioni in The Advantage, he said that when you give people the opportunity to buy in, they're more likely, when you give people the opportunity to weigh in, they're more likely to buy in, right? When you give people the opportunity to weigh in, they're more likely to buy in. True or not true? It's, of course it is. That's our nation, right? We give people the opportunity to vote, and that is your way in. And as you weigh in, we're saying, now, come on, now buy in, right? England, they weren't doing us this way. They were taxing us, and we didn't have representation. And so we threw all the tea into the harbor, which was a weird clapback. But it was nonetheless what we chose to do as a response. We didn't have a voice. We didn't know what else to say. So we put the tea in the harbor, you know, to make a statement. No taxation without representation. When you give people the opportunity to weigh in, they're more likely to buy in. What do you do, though, when you didn't get to weigh in on something that you're being asked to buy in on? That is really difficult to do, and that's when you have to choose positivity. You've got to convince yourself that they know something I don't know, that they're making the decision for the group, that there's something going on that I don't understand. And if I knew it, if I understood it, if I could see it the way they see it, maybe it would make sense to me. But as for now, I'm going to have to choose to buy in even though I didn't get to weigh in. 
Second time, this is really difficult for me. I was doing this talk to a group of uh, virtual assistants, okay? They were actually in the room at the time for this meeting, and there was a lady sitting right over here, um, Maddie, about where you're sitting, all right? And I'm talking about this idea of choosing positivity, and she's just over here just giving it to me, giving me stank eye. And, and then she starts shaking her head like this, arms crossed, shaking her head. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I'm, uh, you know, I get distracted easily, which is fine. I enjoy it. But I said to her, I said, Maddie, what is wrong? Uh, excuse me, ma'am, what is wrong? And she said, um, I don't like it. I was like, well, that's obvious. Tell me why. And she was like, I just, I, it feels like you're telling people to be fake. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Have you ever been teaching your kids math or something, and then you realize you're doing it wrong? I, was, I, I uh, was an engineering major in college, but I should not have been, but I did finish with that degree. And I was teaching my kids how to add fractions the other day, and I was teaching them using the way you would multiply fractions. And my kids were correcting me, telling me that I was wrong. And I started questioning everything. I mean, I started questioning all of my whole life. I was like, have I been doing all this wrong? I mean, maybe I'm doing that wrong. Maybe I'm doing a lot of other stuff wrong. That's the way I felt in this moment. When this lady was shaking her head, I was like, oh my goodness, is, is this wrong? Have I been saying this and it's not right? Am I asking people to be fake? I don't want to ask people to be fake. And so in the moment, I was stunned, and I was kind of taken back, and so I didn't have a good response. I just kind of moved on and ignored it and act like it never happened. But I have thought about that lady every day since then. And I know what I would say to her now. What I would say is I would say, Maddie, listen, first of all, we're not talking about, see, what she was talking about was self-actualization. She was talking about live, finding your authentic self, living your true self, right, which in our world today is the greatest sin on the planet. Y'all know that phrase, you do you? That's what this is all about. This phrase is about don't let people tell you how you feel. No, you tell them how you feel because how you feel is what's most important to you. And what I would say is I'm not asking you to deny how you feel, but what I am saying is that the context of our conversation is about how to cultivate influence. And there are times where you do not feel like going to work. Anybody had a day where you didn't feel like going to work? Some of you were like today. Some of you were like, I don't feel like being here right now. And I'm here, right? But if you want to cultivate influence, what you don't do is you don't roll up into work on a Tuesday morning and be like, I just want to let everybody know I don't want to be here. You can do that. You can also find another job probably, right? Because that just won't fly. There are times where you don't have to fake it, but you have to ascribe to a higher value. You got to find a bigger value. The value of I'm going to be true to me is important, but a bigger value is what we're doing together matters more than what we're doing alone. I'm telling you, more important than making the right decision is owning the decision and making it right. You can own the model of groups that Soma Church has chosen to use, and you can make it work. The, the, the best organization in the world, the best churches in the world are not the best because they have the best ideas. They're the best because they get everybody leaning into the same idea. And so you got to make a decision. Am I going to be a wind in someone's sail or am I going to be a wind against someone's sail? And this church needs every single person in this room to be a wind in the sail of what God is doing in this church. And you do that through your positivity. Now, if that bothers you and you think, well, but there's some things that need to change. There's some things that need to be different. There's some things that I would love to throw my opinion at. Tomorrow is for you. We're going to pick up right here tomorrow at Thinking Critically.